You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now your host, Daniel San Angelo and Trey Harris. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. But I really hope you need 80s Revisited in your life because we are back, bitches with Pink Floyd's The Wall right here on the Awesome Podcast Network. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris. And I'm the other, Daniel Angelo. And with us as always, our loyal, faithful, incredibly handsome producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. <laughs> Let me think of Red X. You did that. <laughs> Don't talk on the phone. Yes, everybody. We're talking about The Wall, the finale of Music Month, if you will. Even Jesse's dog is excited about this one. He just can't contain his excitement. But yeah, a real quick little little business to take care of. We would like to welcome back the return of Geekly Dose to the Awesome Podcast Network. That's right, despite Stephen Nocentelli moving straight up the uh, western seaboard to Seattle. And Tim remaining here in Los, in Los Angeles, Louisiana <laughs> with us. Uh, a new episode. By the time you hear this, it should also be available. Happy to hear that those guys are back doing what they do best, keeping you up to date with all the geekly news in the world. So a big welcome back to our friends over at Geekly Dose from the other two friends and the same guy who's on Geekly Dose, Jesse Sedgley, our friends over there. So. Yep. Yeah, that'll work. But yeah, today, everybody, The Wall, a sad conclusion to Music Month. Kind of a, in a sense, a sort of downer ending, maybe, in a way. Uh, this is uh, was released August 13th, 1982. I was two years old. Daniel was half alive. Well, no. I wouldn't even thought Yeah. Of you weren't even sperm yet because, you know, <laughs> sperm was like every... What, yeah. 24 hours, it li- or 48, it dies, and then yeah. your nuts make some more? I may have been, nah. I, you weren't even no baby part of me. Yeah. yeah. God, was, knew, God was, knew you well, were coming. I was an egg. I was just well, yeah, yeah. at that Yeah, moment. I think we had this discussion before. Yeah. <laughs> and I said the same thing I said. You said the same thing you said. So sorry for the deja vu, everybody. IMDb, 7.8. Rotten Tomatoes, 72. Sort of a congruence there. Couldn't find any info on an exact budget amount for this film. The opening was only $207,000. However, the domestic gross ended up being $22.2 million. Worldwide, it went on to gross 31. So outside of the U.S., Pink Floyd has some pull. I uh, imagine most of that was probably from Europe. That additional, uh, what would that be, 9, uh, $9 million roughly? Because since Pink Floyd is from, you know, across the pond, as they say. Across the pond. And all that. But uh, directed by Alan Parker, who actually has done some pretty other notable stuff since then. I didn't uh, look that up. What's he done? Uh, he did Evita, another oh. musical in a sense. But he also did, uh, the uh, I think it was an 80s movie, I'm pretty sure, with Gene Hackman, uh, Mississippi Burning. And also, uh, I've never seen this movie, but I always heard of it because it's based on a book, but it's called Angela's Ashes. I've heard of the that yeah. name. I, I, I know the cover of the book. It's yeah. got that kid in black and white pouting on his face. I'm sorry if that's disrespectful. I don't know why he's pouting. It might be some big theme to the book or whatever, but I don't know. Uh, but it's written by Roger Waters, of course, Pink Floyd, and starring Bob Geldof as Pink. Of course, he's the Boomtown Rat singer, most famous for their one-hit, well, not, I wouldn't say one-hit wonder to some, but uh, I don't like Mondays, which is my alarm tone for every Monday when mm-hmm. I wake up. And also, uh, he was in Spice World. So, yeah, but uh, he's also probably, he's more notable as a musician, in a sense, uh, he was one of the organizers of Live Aid. Uh, if you ever watched the video for We Are the World, he's 
uh, or is it? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's We Are the World. It's either that or whichever one. A whole bunch of there was uh, We Are the World, and then there was uh, the Christmas one. Do they know it's Christmas? He was one of them. I don't remember which one was for that he organized. It was one of those two because one of them was Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, I think, and the other one was wasn't Queen in the Live Aid. That was the concert itself, but oh. he helped organize the concert. Oh, okay. Because if I remember correctly, there was Live Aid in England. There was a concert in New York at the like, kind of like the same time or some. Well, oh, the same day. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Because yeah. I remember Phil Collins. The big thing was Phil Collins played in England, then took a plane to New York and played. Okay, so in Yankee it, Stadium. There probably was it like, for example, like seven o'clock both places. He just yeah kind of beat it there. You so know, to speak. Yeah, he went yeah. back in time, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. But, I mean, honestly, the only thing you really need to know about Live Aid is that if you ever want to see how amazing <laughs> Freddie Mercury was as a singer, to literally hold an audience in his hand, watch watch a lot. Go YouTube Live Aid. One of the biggest audiences ever, too. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, it might, that might still be a record that's held. But uh, I think their, their set was, like, 20 minutes. Like, I mean, that's a short set, especially when you're queen. Like, every song's, you know, six, seven, six, five, six minutes. And but I'll tell you right now, like when you watch that, I still get chills just watching that because that right is <laughs> that's one of the greatest live performances you'll ever see, bar none. Uh, but also starring the great Bob Hoskins as <laughs> Pink's yeah. manager. Uh, were you surprised when you saw him pop up? And uh, like I noticed him, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> here's Eddie Eddie Valiant. Yeah, Eddie Valiant. Right. Uh, fun fact about uh, Bob Hoskins, real quick: <clears throat> when they were attempting to make a X Men movie in the early early nineties. He was the front runner for Wolverine. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Now, my people, you think of Bob Hoskins from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but he used to, I mean, he was kind of a, earlier than that, he was kind of a big guy, not so much fat, I would say, but I mean, bulky. Kind of mm-hmm. how Wolverine is honestly represented in the comics. He's a short guy and he's bulky. It but, just showed a little image. Yeah, of, I mean, look yeah. at that. Mm-hmm. We just Google it and you could see some pictures of when he was much younger with a lot more hair, but I mean, almost <laughs> De Niro-esque, but he's got that with that uh, in that picture, you just you could tell even when he's right there in the wall where he's screaming, where he's kind of screaming, like you could see how in the early '90s, you know, instead of doing Mario, <laughs> he could have been you know filling Hugh Jackman's shoes. And that was also the time frame where they were talking about Angela Bassett as Storm. Uh, of course, that was all like way, way pre-production type things where they were just you know batting it around in Hollywood because the Spider-Man movie was in limbo. I think we talked about that not too long ago. But of course, most people remember him from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, that, mm-hmm. this being such a big hit. But also, he was Smee and Hook. He's also in Brazil, and unfortunately, he had the displeasure of recently being in Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> uh, Christine Hargrey, Hargies. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Jay, what do you think of that movie? What Snow White and the Huntsman? Yep. I'd rather eat shit than watch that movie again. <laughs> All right, there we go. But I'll tell nice. you why. Because it'll take me two and a half hours to watch that movie because it's that fucking long. It'll take me about five seconds to eat a piece of shit, and I can get on with my life. Gotcha. And not, you know, it's about it's about wasting time. You didn't want to walk out on it. We we, we oh, the thing is, uh, I watched it on Xbox. Oh, okay, so to speak. Yeah. Wink, wink. Our right, matey. Uh, and it was we're just watching. I'm like, okay. It got to the point where I was like, okay, this is really dumb. But I, we had not, we were in California visiting my brother, uh-huh. and my parents don't have cable out there, so it was basically we had to watch. It was on the thumb drive, or you really can't watch anything. And it's like, um, I might as well just leave it on and. And it, yeah. <laughs> big mistake. Yeah, but uh, avoid that movie if you can. But uh, yeah, Pink's mom, she was, the only other thing she was in was An American Werewolf in London. Great film. Uh, Jenny Wright was the American groupie. And the only reason I mention her is because I'm a big fan of the 90s movie, The Lawnmower Man, though a lot of people hate it. 
Uh, admittedly, it's nothing like the book, aside for the fact there's a person that mows lawns in the movie. But uh, she was Job's girlfriend that he brought into the machine and freaked out, and then he panicked about, and that's that. But she was also in Near Dark, a great film directed by uh, Catherine Bigelow, Academy Award winner for The Hurt Locker. And whatever she did last year. Oh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. And then uh, this is this is awesome. Uh, Michael Ensign, he was the hotel I, manager. I noticed him. Like, and I, had, I looked him up immediately when I saw him on, on this movie. I was like, okay, that dude is... Oh, yeah, he's in Ghostbusters. So and, like, and what does he play in Ghostbusters? A hotel, hotel manager? manager. <laughs> like, he's made a career of that. But he's he's actually played in a lot. And I was re-watching the original Superman, because, of course, Man of Steel is coming out in a couple weeks, or a month or so, I guess I should say, or later this month, actually, because we're almost in June. So I'm re-watching the original quadrilogy, uh, Christopher Reeve, because there will never be a better Superman than Christopher Reeve. But uh, he's in the original Superman, not as a hotel manager, but he's in there. Immediately recognized him now, uh, especially after seeing him in this and uh, realizing that he pretty much plays a hotel manager in most of his There films. was another one that he's in, and you're like, oh, I'm trying to remember. Because when he doesn't have that mustache, he's, he looks... Oh, oh, Titanic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Google, this, Guggenheim or something. A couple mm-hmm. of cameos in this film, including the first feature film of one of me and Daniel's most beloved 80s actresses, whom we both had a big crush on in Daniel's favorite movie, Willow. Joanne Wally oh, was a groupie. Oh, she's a groupie? <laughs> I, look, I couldn't I see her. See I looked for her. I, I just think, she, I mean, it must have been way in the background or something because I could not find her. But uh, also Roger Waters, uh, Pink Floyd and the writer, of course, he was Pink's best man at the, they were doing the wedding montage, but showed him getting married. Mm-hmm. And, so, little cameo over there. And so, Daniel, let's get on with the nitty gritty as a podcast. You have never, ever seen this movie nope. until, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. Did you know about it? I mean, I'm sure you, you recognize some of the songs, I would imagine, yeah, just from listening to the, the radio songs, yeah. pretty much and popular culture. But I was never a Pink Floyd listener. But I know, radio, yeah, I know yeah. some of them. You know, I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. their biggest song, or I would say the most played songs, especially, I mean, we're here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so wherever you are, you might have, you know, your radio plays something different. But pretty much, I would say the two most popular played songs by Pink Floyd, radio-wise, at least in our neck of the woods, would be off of the album, and the, of course the movie being uh, Another, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 2, and then Comfortably, uh, Comfortably numb. numb. And also I knew Dirty Woman. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that song, but that's about it for for what I knew. I, you, know, you got me into Zeppelin. So yeah. I, mean, I was hoping this might have the same effect, yeah. so we'll find out. Dana Santangelo, what did you think of Pink Floyd's The Wall? I, I thought it was cool, like a uh, very trippy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you'd rather be on something when you watch this movie, and I would assume a lot of people have done that. Oh yeah, but um, there's certain parts of it that, that I thought were really cool. Mm-hmm. The the school scene, yeah, like the this you know symbolism the for them putting the in the grinder, yeah, things like that. Uh, I like the animated portions of it. Mm-hmm. I like the animated style of it, yeah. like the. The artwork of it, mm-hmm. the I mean, end it's... stuff like that. Um, there's the first shot is like Kubrick esque, yeah, like the first shot in the movie with the long pan down. On Very, the I mean, that, that fills me with so much pride that you make a, a, a observation like that. <laughs> that. That's why this podcast exists. All you people out there listening are great. We love our listeners, but listen, did you hear what Daniel just said? He he compared a shot in a movie to Kubrick. What? Oh, be still my heart. <laughs> uh, I didn't expect the. Anus talking, yeah. At the end, <laughs> with his balls as a chin, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's not for kids. Well, Jim Carrey does it. 
with his balls on. <laughs> it's just he still has his clothes mint on or yeah. some banaka. <laughs> but just he tri- likes to trippy ask movie. Um, main guy like doesn't. How many words does he say in this movie? I wish somebody kept a count on that. Well, aside from you uh, know from the, the songs, I mean, yeah, yeah. he the well, I have that in the trivia, but we can touch on it now. The only line that he says that isn't a lyric. Thus, in song, is when he says, Take that, fuckers! When the TV goes out the window and he oh, yeah. cuts his hand. That's pretty much his only line that's not a <laughs> lyric. So, in a sense, that's about three lines. Yeah. Or three wow. three words, sort of. Not counting, you know, a song. Yeah, when I mean, he was the, the German, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, all part of the, that's all part of that song, though. Yeah. So, you see, that, that's... I need to listen to Pink Floyd more. I don't think that they will never touch Zeppelin to me. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion. It doesn't mean anything. Um... I would need to watch this more than once. Mm-hmm. It's definitely... Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, I love the music, but I don't know what the fuck I just saw. Yeah, I would need to watch it again. Uh, this is one of those... I'm a re- decently intelligent guy, yeah. but you know, there were parts I'm like, uh, I wonder what this means. Well, yeah. Honestly, this is one of those movies, and there's I mean, there's a meaning to it, naturally. Yeah. But every, even now... now I must preface, like, uh, of course, there's an 80s movie. I didn't see this movie. I always, like you, I knew a Pink Floyd... I knew the, the album, The Wall. I never saw the movie till I was maybe in high school. And then the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I know it's, I mean, the music's good. I don't see what the, I really don't see what the big deal is. To me, the the greatness of this movie, to me at least I should say, is upon multiple viewings. When you watch it again, you're in, the first time I don't see how anybody, I don't, I, I would call bullshit, except maybe you know, some film critic who's watching it with such a, Different frame of mind, I guess, than we than we would. One of those. I'm gonna catch the. Yeah, I the I'll know the, the twist. Trailer. I knew yeah. that what happened at the end of Unbreakable. I knew what happened at the end of this movie, kind of person. Not that if you got it on the first try, hey, great, good on you, lad. Uh, I'm just saying. I think for the most part, especially, uh, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience to where you know I watched this. You know, in, I mean, nobody is held accountable for what they do in high school because that's a bunch of bullshit. But uh, you know, I was just like, wow, like you know, I, I love the music, but I don't know what I just saw. I'd rather just listen to the album, blah 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 blah. Then you know, you go to college, you know, and the the it's this is one of the seminal. Uh, it's actually, uh, I think Sergeant Pepper's might be the the first concept album ever. I could be I'm, I could be very mistaken. I'm not sure, but this is this is probably one of the most well known. Uh, aside from Sergeant Pepper's, I should say, because it's you know it's the Beatles. Uh, but this one, this movie is just so. Every time I watch that, something new happens. I, I see, I, I think of something different about it, or I see like. Okay, I understand, but again, it's so it's so surreal. It's like uh, it's like Brazil, like we mentioned that Bob Hoskins was in our friend Caveman's favorite movie. Never watched. It. Uh, I would say don't watch it. Not saying it's bad. I love Terry Gilliam. It's a good shot, but right it's there too. it's just Brazil's not my cup of tea. Uh, but the wall, it's very to me. Here's what I think the wall is, and this isn't being derogatory to it. It's the world's longest music video. You know, it's long because you know, it's a movie. It's longer than thriller, because uh, that's basically what you're watching. It's just separate music videos that all tie together in a big, in a in a very big way. I mean, of course, that makes it a movie. It's kind of hypocritical to say that in a sense, but uh, to me, it's the world's best music video. And be perfectly honest, uh, as a film, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it. As far as like, you know, because you got a obviously a director who's still working. He's done some things. He's not like just some guy you never did, like the guy that did Masters of the Universe and you never see him again. Well, the guy that did, the guy that did Jaws 4 and, you know, he's probably dead and nobody cares. Uh, but there's a lot to this film that just, again, the more you watch it, 
you're listening to the lyrics and you're paying attention to the screen and you, you every time again every time I watch it I, I pick up something new something I remember earlier okay but you know I love this film but honestly I'd rather just listen to the album in the car and then come home and watch something else if that makes any you know like uh, the, because there's an album with everything that you hear in this movie practically on it uh, I prefer the album just for the fact that I can listen and not watch there were some some of the songs uh, where he kind of was yelling mm-hmm. that I, again I've never heard Pink Floyd this album that were cool to me but I think the ones that played on the radio are the best ones yeah <laughs> I mean they're like the song my favorite songs on the album on the wall uh, I mean another brick in the wall everybody likes that song I mean yeah. I, that's one of those like it's just so it's so ingrained like, uh, we don't need no educate like everybody knows that uh, you might not like it but you know it I mean it's it's popular culture I guess I'd say uh, but of course Comfortably Numb and what a great song I mean you yeah. know, I mean that song is um, and, it, and when it happens in the movie is just like all, you know that's an mm-hmm. awesome moment when like hello you know the, the first notes of that song kick off but uh, I re- my, probably my favorite songs like that I, I listen to a lot off the album are Mother like Mama they gonna drop the bomb Mm-hmm. I really, really like that song. And then uh, the very first song, when the t- which is not on the album, uh, but when the Tigers broke free, which is basically telling the story of basically almost a big the reason why he's fucked up as a kid with his dad being yeah, dead and yeah. dealing with you know an overprotective mother and all that. Uh, overprotective or really didn't care. I, she sits I, there and just leaves him at the show. Didn't show any love. Didn't seem to. I don't know what I got out of that. I didn't feel that she was overprotective. Was she just going to go leave him at the park and let him? Mm, I could see it. Well, for what his age is, you know? Yeah. He didn't look like he was that old. I don't know. I mean, again, I mean, that's that's the thing yeah. about the you could. There's so many different, you know, I don't, I don't think two people can sit and talk about this movie and not, yeah. like, see eye to eye on everything. You know, I mean, to me, it just seemed like she was, again, he was so only, related. Like, yeah. in a sense, he was. It's only uh, one viewing for me, so. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, uh, there's no wrong, that. there's no wrong thing viewing of a movie, I would say. I mean, if you, if you get something, if you come away with, with I thought I unplugged my headset, but I didn't. Sorry about that. No matter what movie you're watching, I mean, uh, or even song. Yeah, it's the same thing with songs. Like, uh, my wife loves books. In, in fact, we, excuse me, we always end up getting into heated discussions about how, uh, recent example, Cloud Atlas. She's like, it's so, the movie's so stupid. The book is so much better. Oh my God. And then me, her, and our friend Perry, I don't know, I can't mind, I might have talked about this on the last one. It seems like I talked about this before. So sorry if I repeat it. Uh, but we're talking like, because I didn't read Cloud Atlas. Uh, our friend Perry didn't read Cloud Atlas, but we all saw the movie as, with our wives who saw who read the book, and I liked the movie. I walked, and then I, we know I kind of quizzed them on. I said, "Okay, well, what what did you walk away from from the book?" And I don't remember what the conversation was. We were kind of drunk at the time. I was like, "Well, that's that's pretty much what I walked away with at the end of the movie. The feeling I got, blah blah blah. It just you know they were like, well, the wrong person had the the mark on them and all this. I'm like, did that affect the movie? Did that affect the movie? You know what I'm saying? But like again, it's." Uh, Actually, that's kind of a bad example because they were tainted by an outside source. I'm trying to think of a different example. I don't know. I can't think on the moment. I mean, <laughs> forget what of, I said. We, had, we kind of had a discussion with I had a discussion with Autumn with the uh, Life of Pi. Oh, she read the book and watched mm-hmm. the movie, but she said it, it it was pretty good based on the yeah, pretty close to the yeah. the book is what she said. Pre- but, yeah, pretty faithful with it. But so. real quick tangent. I I I hate it when people are absolutist and they just say like, oh, the book's always better than the movie. Bullshit. Go You're read Jaws. Talk about our Jurassic Park, right? Yeah. Well, the, no, the, the genius about Jurassic Park is that the book is totally different from the movie. 
Yeah, it, it's pretty close up to the part where the dinosaurs go haywire, but then everything else that happens mm-hmm. is totally is totally different. People die that aren't that don't die in the movie that live in the movie and appear in the sequel. Uh, so like, I mean, that's one like I, I recommend people if if you like Jurassic Park, read the book because it's totally different and more, like I mean, people are getting eviscerated by raptors left and right. Uh, the book would have been rated R, you know, as a as a film. It wouldn't be a kid's movie. Uh, but what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, just interpretation. I mean, in general, you know, uh, I guess it kind of ties to it because, you know, people get in, uh, come away with different movies for different things. Like uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Sunshine. And then there are people who come away from that movie just like, well, I thought it was, you know, stupid because they're basically, uh, they kind of harp on the fact that, and again, as a as a filmmaker, Dave Boyle, like I mean, I don't think he's perfect, but you know, they add a villain at the end, kind of a, a physical representation of a villain. A lot of people just kind of zone out and think, oh, it's a you know, it's a stupid movie because of that. Well, there's a philo- to me, there's a philosophical like thing that's going on in the movie, which is one of the reasons I love it. One of my favorites, uh, Children of Men. I mean, to me, that's one that you know, there's a surface to it, but then there's a subtext to it about you know, a lot of people just go watch a movie and they walk away with what's on the surface. Uh, which we get to Blade Runner for our 50th okay. episode. Like, I mean, that's one that most people, you know, it's it's a cult movie because most, I, I would say probably because the people that have seen it more than once, if that makes any sense. Uh, just because there's more to it, there's more, I don't know, I'll kind of repeat, I guess I'm just repeating myself with different examples now, but uh, there's just more, watch movies, people. I guess what I'm getting at, you know, there are people that watch movies and there are people that, are, that watch movies. Like, you know, we watch, uh, Oh, I recently placed me on the Pines, which has gotten some Oscar buzz, early Oscar buzz for, I guess this year with uh, Gosling and uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. Uh, great movie, very long, and I'll never watch it again, but it's good. And what it's saying, me and my wife had you know about an hour discussion on it after, like I look over to her, I said, "What do you think that movie was about?" And then she had a, a you know a similar interpretation, but variances on the reasoning. You know, so there's. Those movies like that are really good to, and like this one to where you can talk about it and like, well, I got this out. Like we just had that little example we had. Like you got that out of it, I got that out of it. Uh, this is definitely one of them. any kind of movie like this is like that. Really, when there's, you know, when anytime you throw in anything surreal, that you, you're kind of opening the door to like, I got this out of that. But you know, I, or you could see how oh, there's the wedding scene. Well, that's the first clip. Roger Waters to the left. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm kind of ram- rambling now, so. We'll get on with the trivia. Anything else about the movie, Daniel? For I bore our listeners with my I wish I would have saw Julian Wally. I didn't know about that. Oh, what? I wish oh. I would have saw Julian <laughs> Wally. I didn't know about that. Again, I looked for her and I didn't see her. Like, yeah. But she's in. The, she's somewhere. But again, it's a it, It's like she's one of the groupies and there's there's that during yeah. that whole scene there's like there's the four main ones and I, she's not one of them. Yeah. So she's got to be one of the other ones just dancing in the wide shots or something I imagine. But I thought that was pretty funny that she was in that. Uh, during the the thin ice song, where he's uh floating in the pool in the beginning, or I get yeah, you know, I mean roughly the beginning, uh, Bob Geldof couldn't swim, so he was actually supported by a plastic body mold that they actually used in uh the flying sequences and the and Christopher Reeve Superman to tie it into when when I was talking about me rewatching that earlier, and uh because he's in water you can't and it's clear you can't see it, but he's he's literally sitting in a the thing that was actually used in Christopher Reeve's Superman and also Supergirl. Uh, and um, in the scene where he trashes the hotel room when the chick from the Lawnmower Man that I was telling you about, uh, you know, she's kissing you like, hey, you got a bath, let's go take a bath, blah, blah, blah. And then he just kind of flips out and starts trashing it. Uh, 
she didn't know that he was going to throw that bottle, that wine bottle at her when she ducks and hits the wall. So the reaction you see of her ducking and covering is like, oh shit, like that's a really oh shit moment, uh, which was pretty funny. And uh, uh, when he's having the flashback, I think it's right before the uh, another brick in the wall part two, where he gets busted with the poetry. We off the podcast, I was making fun of that scene. Uh, it's actually lyrics uh, to uh, so, uh, the uh, song Money from Pink, from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon uh, that he's reading off that. So it's tying into a, I think, a, I think the Dark Side was before this. I can't remember the, the order, but either a future or a forthcoming or a previous Pink Floyd album. But, uh, and of course, the teacher's like, this is absolute rubbish. Well, just so you know, Dark Side of the Moon has stayed longer on the Billboard chart than any other album for more than 700 weeks. Hmm. It was on the Billboard charts. So take that from for what you will. 15 times platinum in the U.S. Wow. I hope at least half of those people have watched it keyed to The Wizard of Oz because that's fun. <laughs> in case you didn't know, anybody out listening who's like, what the fuck does that mean that he just said? Uh, there's a urban legend that the album Dark Side of the Moon, when you start it correctly, along with watching The Wizard of Oz, it goes together. And honestly... Uh, well, the, the trick is you, the, the movie, the album's shorter than the movie, so you have to have the album on repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's several sites. I think there's a site called darksideoftherainbow.com or something like that. You could just Google it and you'll get info on it when to start it. But uh, the first playthrough of the album in the movie actually line up pretty good. Actually, uh, excuse me, guys, just go to YouTube. It's all on YouTube. They actually they synced it. have it on Vimeo here. Oh, Vimeo. Okay, yeah. Just uh, Google Dark Side of the Rainbow. Yeah, and just you could watch it on there. The first playthrough, it, there's. There are quite some odd synchronicities, like when uh, in black and white. Well, I think it's I think it's the scarecrow or the Caroline, the the real guy when he hits his bangs his thumb uh-huh. with a hammer. They're saying something. There's a lyric about a hammer, like right when he does it. Uh, when they get to the Emerald City, they're talking about the color green being mentioned in the album, but it's entirely not true because well, I should say it's not true. It's just one of those synchronicity type. Right. situations right because uh, Pink Floyd said we don't know what the fuck you're talking about it just <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it's crazy that somebody that it, it, what lines up is freaky in some in a sense but it's completely unintentional, unintentional yeah. so they say just another mythos to the wonderful like, Wizard of Oz like the Zeppelin oh yeah reverse Zeppelin oh the, uh, yeah Stairway to Heaven well the thing is when you listen to it if you know what to listen for it does sound like mm-hmm. oh my sweet Satan <laughs> oh sweet Satan you know but it's again it's all a whole bunch of lyrics backwards I mean it's you can and again, it's like uh, like those people who think if you watch a staticky TV screen, you can see dead people. There was a, even a Michael Keaton movie about it called White Noise, which was stupid. But uh, you know, like yeah, if you stare at something long enough, you're gonna see some shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna uh, if you're watching just static and random shapes, you know, oh, that looked like a person. You know what the fuck ever? Or those EVP things? I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I mean, you know, if you record something on a tape. You get background noise. You get all. You pick up all sorts of interference, and, and then like you hear. Here's the Led Zeppelin one, or according to YouTube, it is. Now we'll take a little quick listen. Oh, Satan! Oh, sweet Satan! Oh, his power is Satan. There's all the lyrics up there. <laughs> Okay, so the, here's the translation of that really quickly. Oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path <laughs> would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. 
Yeah. So if you think you, you know, <laughs> that, I mean, the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven don't make much sense to begin with, but I don't think <laughs> they're about, you know, meant to be a backwards prayer to Satan. So whatever. If you think that, you know, more power to you. Sure. But of course there's, you know, there's some, there's other examples of that. You know, go to YouTube and search backwards crap and you'll probably, I mean, there's some, I'm sure there's some from Pink Floyd we're looking at now and other stuff, but I yeah. don't buy that bullshit. <laughs> don't buy it at all. Anyway, it's all suggestive stuff to me. And uh, more back to the trivia. I mean, Bob Geldof, like, I mean, okay, he's, you know, helped organize Live Aid did some stuff. He's a, he's a good guy, but he's really weird. First of all, he can't swim. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just, well, we live in Louisiana, so I guess that, that, that makes it seem a little harder. But he's also terrified of blood, which, I mean, chicks, okay. I mean, dudes, come on. Don't be, I mean, I don't ah, see how. Blood. I think, especially, well, honestly, just like in the movie, we have, we have to shave. So, I mean, you know, guys kind of, well, women get blood once. <laughs> 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 women get more blood than we do. So, I guess, you know, I guess it's more shame mm. on them for not being afraid of blood. It's actually a little bit worse. Yeah, it is <laughs> worse. So, I, t- I take back what I said. It was dumb. Uh, but Bob Geldof, he's terrified of blood, and he found the race, the scene, sheen. The scene where he shaves himself, difficult to film. He was only supposed to shave just his eyebrows, but he got so into the part that he shaved his entire body, including practically cutting off a nipple. Uh, no, but it was actually, then that entire scene, and I know you're not in the Pink Floyd, or you know you don't know him like you know Zeppelin, but a little backstory. Their first singer was a guy named Sid Barrett, the original lead singer of Pink Floyd, and he literally went insane. Like he, I believe he died not too long ago, or I say not too long ago, but it could have been a couple of years but, I mean, he was in an insane asylum, basically. He was not mentally well. But that scene was actually inspired by incidents, you know, that Roger Waters and Dave Gilmore had with Sid. Uh, for example, um, let me see here. I have an example. Uh, they were all at a dinner party, and he just he just excused himself from the table, went home, shaved his head, uh, and came back to the dinner party like nothing happened. Like, hey, I'm back. You know, just, you know, odd things. And like I said, I mean, he was literally insane. Uh, and some of the people who were close to Sid during the filming and during his decline, they actually had to leave. The th- they left the theater during that scene because it, it hit it hit him so hard. Like they were, they understood what they were looking at, uh, what was kind of going on there. Uh, the crowd at the fascist concert scene at the end, you know, there's a Jewish over there. Throw him up against the wall, where he's kind of having that vision of his, you know, uh, fascist rock concert dream coming true in the end. Uh, they were actually selected a lot of the crowd because they were literally skinheads. Hmm. So when they're doing that salute, they're they're unfortunately they're meaning it. <laughs> uh, and this was, I find this odd because uh, the members of Pink Floyd, if you look at any of their album stuff, they don't ever have any pictures of themselves. They're not like if you look at a uh, Zeppelin didn't have any either. But I mean, their appearance wasn't well known. Almost like Kiss. You know, they wore makeup and nobody knew who they were. Kiss would walk through the crowd before a show and like, hey, guy, you here to see Kiss? Yeah, man, they rock. You know, they're <laughs> literally talking to Gene Simmons or something or Peter Chris or whoever because nobody knew them. Well, same thing with Pink Floyd. Uh, nobody kind of knew what they looked like or, who you know, who they really were. Of course, this is pre-today, pre-iPhone, Facebook, all this bullshit and everything. Uh, and so they kind of, they, they reveled in their anonymity, so to speak. Uh, but... Roger Waters actually thought the wall as a vehicle for him to go into acting, which, terrible idea, usually. Mm. Uh, not many people can make that jump. I mean, Will Smith, I guess, would be an exception. Uh, but for every Will Smith, you have an ice cube or an iced tea in the 90s with films like Surviving the Game and Trespass, which 
are still entertaining to me because it's just iced tea being iced tea. Although I must say, Ice Cube was outstanding in Anaconda. And that's complete sarcasm. <laughs> you know the funny thing about that movie is his first line is, Today is a good day. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, if you know who Ice Cube is, you know he had a song. Yeah. Today is a good day. A he did not like that. have to use his AK. <laughs> Thus, today was in fact a good day. Yep. Didn't they do that on A Living Color on one of those, you were Jamie Foxx and Tommy Davidson like recite the yeah. rap lyrics like as it's poetry? like this, like that, that. like this, and, and uh. uh. <laughs> oh, just chill to the next episode. I always have to defer to Daniel for his living color expertise. Uh, but yeah, but uh, even though, well, the thing is, you know, Roger Waters didn't obviously play the role of Pink in the movie, uh, but Bob Gedolf, he's also a musician with also no acting experience, but I think acting-wise, I mean, he, he, of course he didn't say much like we talked about, but I mean, his expressions and everything, you know, really kind of conveyed kind of what was going on. So I think he did a good job. Uh, I don't know how Roger Waters would do. I mean, I've seen him, and he just kind of looks... He looks, like, extremely mellow. He's a very quiet guy for, like, when you see him, like, in interviews or anything. Uh, so it just seems to me that, you know, it was a, that was ex- an extremely good idea not to have him in there. Uh, and during the scene where uh, he does destroy his hotel room, like you mentioned before, he actually, Bob Geldof actually did cut his hand pretty bad. Not like you see in, when he gouges it on the window, but, like, while he's trashing everything... Uh, but he didn't say anything to this. Kind of like what we talk about Leo and uh, Django. He kept going with the scene, even though he despises the sight of blood. Uh, kept going with the scene until it wrapped. So, good job keeping it going. Yep. Not quite as intense as Leo's though, where he rubs his blood in what's her name's face and is fucking scary in that scene. <laughs> so yeah. Did we talk about it on the podcast? I thought we did, didn't we? Me and you just talked about it, I believe. Oh, we did. I think oh, we just well, talked about it in general. But real quick, if we didn't talk about it on the podcast, and Django and Chain, the scene where uh, right before Leo kind of busts Django and uh, oh, what was his alert. damn name? Oh yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> what, uh, Christoph Waltz character, son of a bitch. I can't think of his name. I don't remember. Oh man, Jesse's on it. We'll awesome get back to character. it. But anyway, uh, well, he's just a good version of the Nazi from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> no, not disrespecting King Christoph Schultz. Waltz. Yeah, Doctor King Schultz. He's a dentist and a bounty hunter. But, uh, yeah, right before Leo has this great monologue where he pulls out a, a skull of a former slave that took care of him and starts being extremely racist, pointing out things that completely aren't true. But he gets so mad that he slams his hand on the table and cuts himself. I think he hits the skull or the piece of it he took out or something like that. But anyway, he actually cuts his hand. And if you watch the scene, it's, I mean, he slams his hand on the table, it starts to gush blood, and he keeps it going. <laughs> and then he, he's talking about uh, Django's wife in that scene again. Spoiler alert. And he just puts it on her face, and he's just—he's like—he's like a man possessed in that scene, wow. which is why he should have won Best Supporting Actor over Christoph Waltz, in my opinion, because Christoph Waltz was just himself. Well, he was for the Golden Globe, but not the uh, Academy Award. Fuck that! I'm just saying, <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. In fact, watching uh, Gatsby, I was just like—I wanted him to go into a diatribe of something <laughs> and get angry. But he was kind of a—he was great in Gatsby. Don't get me wrong, but that character, like to me, that was. That's what when I think when I see Leo, I see him smoking that penguin from Batman right, right. cigarette and you know, being Long the stem. most racist person you could think of, but still incredibly <laughs> likable. If that's even possible, but it is possible because he did it. Yep. So uh, anything to wrap up the wall? Any anything anything that sticks in your mind that we haven't already covered or talked about? I I, I just 
really enjoyed that uh, the animated portions. Mm-hmm. Of it. Well, let me ask you this: they're very weird. But. Let me just because because it's the first time you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just curious what your just a quick question: What is the wall? Hmm? What is the wall to you? Again, there's no wrong, right or wrong answers. I know you've seen it only once, and I didn't I didn't have a clue when I first saw it. I just thought it was symbolic of a wall because I didn't watch movies like an adult did when I was in did, high school. <laughs> did he kind of try to? Wall himself off from that's the exactly it. that's exactly it that that's the wall that he built for himself around society because of his experiences yeah. you know here's another brick in the wall you know that's and then of course I mean to me the best scene in the movie is where it has that long quiet shot of the wall at the and end and then he rejoins the world so to speak yep. you know so we're right on I mean that's a I mean that's literally what it is mm-hmm. I mean you got it right on the funny uh, so in case anybody out there you know just watches it and gets stoned and doesn't think about what the movie's about that's what it's about <laughs> it's about how this dude's life shapes him to build a wall to isolate himself from everybody how it affects him and eventually him breaking down that wall to in a sense rejoin the land of the living to quote army of darkness so to speak so good deal all righty so uh score wise what would you what would you what would you rank this as a movie along you know you know as a, as a film it's been a while since i've been on it but i think it was about a seven five. Oh, that's that's high. I mean, to me, I mean, that's a little higher than I thought you might give it. Uh, just because, again, this the wall is. I think I would like an, it more the more I watch it. Mm. And, and, I th- and I think also, like for me watching it, you know, of course, for the first time I watch it, I know another brick of the wall. I know comfortably, and I'm some kind of waiting for those songs to yeah. come up. You know, after I, I watch it a couple times, I'm like, oh, I really like this song. I really like this song. Same thing when I hear a, a like a, a recently a Les Misérables. I never saw it before. Saw the movie, loved it. You know, I watch it again, and like I start liking different at different songs in it and everything. Same thing with any kind of uh, or a new a new album, uh, like the Depeche Mode album that recently came out. I listen to it, you know, you get a new album, kind of listen to it once. You kind of remember maybe a song or two. You kind of go back to those, and then you kind of listen to the, the full album more, and more things become. Uh, you kind of discover more what you like about it, I guess, so to speak. Uh, kind of grows on you in a sense, in a way. You're like, oh yeah, I love this song. Uh, whereas you might not have, you know, you listen to it in a sense, but you didn't pay attention to it so to speak. Hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, this released August 13th, 1982. I was a wee lad of two, but uh, the day before the wall released, the late great, or well, at this point, yes, the late great Henry Fonda uh, passed away due to heart disease. Uh, he is considered by AFI, not the band, but the American Film Institute, <laughs> to be the sixth greatest actor of all time. Of course, uh, known uh, mostly for his role in Great Wrath and also uh, 12 Angry Men, uh, which I had to watch in school. But honestly, I can't. I can say I'm, I'm not a big fan. I haven't mm. seen much. There are other older actors that I like more than Henry Fonda, but that's not taking anything away from him. Yeah. And uh, thanks for Jane Fonda, by the way, bro. <laughs> she really turned out well after the '80s with her politics. Mm. But that's that's not what we talk about on '80s Revisited. So, you want to do your sports rewind or something? Back yeah. to the you can do a sports rewind. <laughs> sports rewind. <clears throat> As per we the do norm, that good every time. <laughs> As Sorry. per the norm, there wasn't anything good during the, the actual date that people... That we haven't covered. Yeah, yeah, exactly, we haven't covered. But just a little discussion on August 18th of 82, the longest baseball game ever in the history of Wrigley Field, which is where the Cubs play, ended after 22 innings. <laughs> Damn. L.A. Dodgers ended up beating the Cubs. I hope probably due to exhaustion, I'd imagine. <laughs> the outfielders are falling asleep and now, yeah, I, oh. I I I think I could go enjoy a nice major league baseball game if you 
gave me a ticket. Yeah, go go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, let's go watch the Yankees or let, yeah. let's go to Fenway and watch the Red Sox. If I was up there, I'd get a beer and a hot e- dog. Even Wrigley and, Field, which is one of the more famous fields ever. Yeah. I would almost rather Wrigley simply because, like we talked about before, growing up watching WGN and the Cubs. Hmm. You know, with Harry Harry. I mean, I imagine like if this was if you weren't allowed to leave the park <laughs> before the game was over. Wow, wouldn't that be the worst movie ever? Really pretty awful. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine going to a double header, uh-huh. you know, which roughly yeah. 18 innings, you know, yeah. I mean, basically this is 22 and it's one game. Normally, uh, Wrigley games always are during the day. So this, even let's say this started at noon. It doesn't give it time for the number, you know, this ends at probably about 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> I'd like to know how many people like, you know, Stay paid the whole time and how many people were there like by the end. What about watching at home? Do you prefer... <laughs> Do you prefer just watching the nine innings, or do you like having your favorite team go more innings? I I like overtime in football. I like overtime in yeah. basketball, not baseball. Because it's not baseball. boring in baseball. Yeah, Let's what? just play another two, another <laughs> inning. I mean, there are other games that you know have ways of ending, ending it. Yeah, like yeah. hockey's what the shootout. Shootout, yeah, they do yeah. shootout which is well, awesome. Would be a good what if they a home run derby <laughs> at the end. <laughs> there you go. The umpire goes out to the pitcher's mound, and be like, "All right, send him out." <laughs> and you one get, by one, yeah, you that get would, like maybe that three be, people to take five pitches apiece. Could people yeah. have love to be home good run pitches. derbies. God, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the part I would, you know, when they have the all star game. God, I, I hope it's go, a tie. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a that's a, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, that is that would bring Let's some sort of excitement to baseball if there was a tie. <laughs> now you can get some really really long games in the NBA. Uh, you can't really do it in the NFL unless you're in the playoffs, but. In the NBA, you can get some maybe three overtime games. I think but they it's have exciting. One. I mean, it, yes, there you go. There's you know, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, there's back and forth between the pitcher and the batter. But I'm I guess I'm just not a huge baseball fan. Golly, a year before this, <laughs> in 1981, the longest baseball game professional was 33 innings between the Red Sox and the Red Wings. Yeah, they definitely needed a home run. Eight derby. hours? I would have thought longer, honestly. Eight you'll hours, ha- 25 minutes. You'll have a nine-inning game that's like three hours? Yeah, for real. Well, the final score was only three to two, so it's just <laughs> a bunch of strikeouts. <laughs> so, and some good pitching or horrible hitting. Yeah, one or the other. Anyway. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, I, I would, couldn't sit through that's that. That's like hell. That would like, be tough for me, yeah. Like if, uh, that's you know, why, that's why the Huntsman's on the, the screen over the loudspeakers <laughs> and I'm sitting in the stands, I can't get anything to drink, it's hot outside, and it's a 33-inning baseball game. Fuck that. That's uh, that's me like watching the Thornburgs nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd rather watch you know, let's see, eight hours or something. You know, I'd rather watch the Lord I'd of the Rings trilogy. I'd rather watch Fran Drescher. Mm. I'd rather watch Beautician and the Beast than the than the, have not twenty two innings of Chicago oh, yeah. Cub baseball. I'd, I don't know what's the worst movie we've done. Yamo be there. I'd watch Xanadu again. I'd watch Howard the Duck again. I'd watch Jaws of Revenge again. All Xanadu is not that bad. It's one you know. I would put the wall on to listen to, and then just watch. You know, I could watch it, but it's I don't want to. Not that wanna, bad for one reason. Well, I, I I agree completely. I still have dreams of that. Good dreams. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sports. <laughs> you took my part, you son of a bitch. No, Jesse, do it again. Sports rewind. Fuck you, Daniel. <laughs> He's still smiling. Look, it makes him happy. Oh, but uh, we gave her scores. Let's see. Uh, uh, for Back to the Future this week, I know it's a uh, it's a couple weeks out, uh, 
or after, I should say, but I want to talk about Star Trek real quick, Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, my co-hosts here have not seen it, so I will keep it, in, uh, I'm sure a lot of you haven't as well. Shame on you, uh, but I'll keep it spoiler-free. <laughs> but uh, going into this summer, there were you know three big movies, uh, I guess three universally big movies that, you know, er- kind of on everybody's watch list. Uh, Iron Man 3 was the first one, disappointing. Uh then, of course, Star Trek in the Darkness has come out. And, of course, Man of Steel will be the third one I would put in that category. Those are the three big, really big ones, I would say. Uh, however, there's better stuff going out. Pacific Rim, other stuff will be hitting uh, over the summer as well. Uh, Thor 2 will be coming out late summer. Uh, anyway, but Star Trek Into Darkness is pretty much the second big movie. Uh, not necessarily big movie, because Gatsby came out after it and me before it. And some other stuff has come out, naturally. But it's the second biggest release, I would say, of the summer. <laughs> After Iron Man 3. Uh, although it hasn't done that well at the box office, surprisingly, which honestly blows my mind, because I can tell you right now, this is, uh, we'll call it June 1st, so June is the sixth month, we're about halfway through the year, roughly. Star Trek in the Darkness is the best damn movie this entire year. What Bar about none. Fast and Furious? Uh, no, I haven't seen Fast 6, or Fast <laughs> and Furious 6. Yeah. So I, it's made a lot reviews. of money. I mean, I, I want to. See, I still want to see the one before it, simply because the Rock's in it. Hmm. I, I will watch anything that the Rock's in, just because he's the motherfucking Rock. Honestly, like I uh, saw it on HBO on accident or something. <laughs> I mean, I saw. I, I, I honestly will see. I will see. I will download it or rent it. I mean, not rent it, but you know what I mean. I'll eventually yeah. see six, and I will, honestly, I want to see five because the Rock's in it. Like I said, rate it real quick before you get into it. Star Trek. Yeah. Oh my! Like ugh, that's scale. hard because you know a modern scale like rate it. <laughs> I'd give it a nine point two. Man, you're after nine. You got a really crowded area. I know that, that's what I was thinking. Like, I don't want to oversell it, but it. Uh, I, okay, it goes without saying. Anybody's listening to this podcast, you know that I am first and foremost a motherfucking Jedi. Star Wars is my shit. Yeah. Now, I don't. I don't. I've never hated on Star Trek. I, when I, I've talked before, how in the late '80s and '90s, watched the Next Generation, love the Next Generation. I prefer the Next Generation to the original series, which I, you, when I was a kid, would come on reruns, maybe once a week or something. So, I mean, very limited. I knew where they were. I always watched the original movies, the first, the six with the original cast. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a full-blown Trekkie or Trekker, but I like Star Trek. But I will watch the original trilogy, the Star Wars, Star Wars over any day. Uh, aside from the magic that J.J. Abrams has done with this, this series, uh, the genius, just like the... Uh, I, I guess I'm not say the word genius because you might take it the wrong way. But I do think he he's, he's brilliant at tying in the stuff that you know, the meta of the movie, much like in the first one where there's so much like, oh, you got a red shirt on? Yeah. They made, you know, things that uh, if you had just, you know, you didn't have to know it, but a lot, of, you know, a lot of people did it, but it was so subtle to where it wasn't like uh, Clash of the Titans. Oh, what the fuck is this? And he holds up the owl from the original. He's like, no, don't bring that. You know, like, here's an in-your-face reference. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's stop and talk about this to the camera, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. In the first Star Trek and in this one, he doesn't do that. Like it's, it's this Into Darkness. I uh, I rarely see movies twice in a theater, uh, usually. But I, in fact, I, we were going to go see this again last night with our friend Perry and Crystal. But uh, I had to end up working late. And we actually had to skip doing the podcast last night and do it tonight for extraneous circumstances. But anyway, uh, it's I don't want to oversell it too much. But if you like if you like science fiction. And if you have seen any of the other Star Trek movies, if you have just, you know, you like the universe, if you saw the first one, this movie is absolutely phenomenal. The music is great. Uh, the acting, the dude that plays the villain, uh, John, John Harrison, I think that's the character's name, 
but uh, I think Benedict Cumberbatch he has an, a strange like a unusual name uh, yeah yeah Benedict uh, but this dude he is like my new favorite actor uh, simply because of this film uh, I haven't seen him anything else however uh, although he was in Warhol wait he's in The Hobbit who the fuck is he in The Hobbit Oh, wait, is it in The Desolation of Smog or the original? Yeah, no, Desolation of Smog. Oh, he's Smog. smog. Fucking A. <laughs> this dude's already two of the greatest villains ever. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and often you see a movie. Uh, let me give you a quick example of why I like this guy so much. Uh, you know, usually in a movie, uh, I'm trying to think about an example off the top of my head, and I can't believe one's escaping me. Uh, somebody dies. Yeah, he was somebody's... a necromancer in Unexpected Journey. Huh. I don't think I watched it again just to look for him. Uh, I saw War Horse. That movie was garbage. I don't even remember him in that, but Agent I'm not going to rewatch that movie because that movie was soldier, terrible. Soldier Spy. Yeah. And a bunch of stuff. But, uh, you know, usually in a movie, uh, uh, Anne Hathaway in Les Mis, where she, had, where she sings, and she cry, she, you know, she's crying while she's singing. She's sad. Uh, you know, I think nearly anybody can cry when they're sad. There's a scene in this movie where he's talking to Kirk and Spock where he cries out of rage. Like of pure of of pure anger, and I'm just watching like God, Jesus, like I, I could never like I could never hope to ever act as good as this dude's acting. Like, like and there's few people to me that could pull that off what he did in that movie, uh, as uh, as a as a pure acting standpoint from being you know again I'm not an actor except what we do. I mean you know I'm, I have no illusions that I'm good at it or anything, but I have such respect for him seeing what he did in Into Darkness with just that character that he was in that, and it's. It's far and away, he's like the high point of the movie. And that's saying a lot because you got, uh, I mean, Chris Pine is great as Kirk. I mean, you, you've seen the original, uh, the, the first re- you know, the first film, the reboot. Uh, Zachary Quinto is amazing. I mean, you have a, such a good cast. Oh, and you'll be happy to hear this, Daniel. Carl Urban has a much bigger role, in, uh, which I'm glad they did because in the first one, he was kind of, he was there in the beginning and it was kind of mainly the Spock and Kirk show, which I'm not complaining about because it was still great, but... Uh, He's much expanded in this one, where you know even says the damn it, Jim, I'm a something, not a doctor, and all the sorts of stuff going in there. But anyway, to wrap it up, uh, go see this movie. I saw it in 3D. I wouldn't say you have to see it in 3D, uh, but the visual effects are astounding. There's a scene in this movie where I want to get up and cheer. It's like it's like cool run. You like you're like you want to like yes, you know, and then look you're like, you know, like, but uh, we didn't see it on the day. I didn't see it the day it came out. I would love to have seen this with like a midnight crowd. Yeah. But uh, I think we no, we talked about it on the podcast before. It released like during the day. Yeah. Like not at, not at a midnight because I would have loved to have seen it. You know, with those first day people that are that are there. Uh, and honestly, the uh, God, I mean, I really can't say enough about it. So far this year, like fuck Iron Man three, rent it when it comes <laughs> out. Uh, check out Gatsby if you can. But right now at the theater, the best bang for your buck is Star Trek Into Darkness. It is a phenomenal movie. It's well paced, and uh, actually, I want, to, I want to add one thing. All too often in movies, especially in a sense, epic movies like this, or even like in, as with The Hobbit, or even in a little bit in a way, Lord of the Rings, the humor is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you have Bilbo and uh, I mean not Bilbo, I'm sorry, uh, or Bilbo and Frodo talking about something, then you cut to Merry and Pippin. Oh yeah, it's the fun time. This is a funny thing going on. Yeah. You know, aside from what happens later on in Lord of the Rings trilogy with Pippin and Merry and everything. Uh, but the humor is never forced in star in this movie. It's all organic, and it's mm-hmm. never like, "Hey, let me stop and make a joke here." It's all like, you know, it, you just have to see it. It's it's written and handled so well. The pacing is perfect. I think it's like it's a two hour plus movie. I want to say, but I felt like it was thirty minutes. Wow! And it is a roller coaster ride. Like it, 
like I heard uh, a friend of mine posted they want to see it, and then a friend of his posted like, yeah, it starts off great and ends and ends bad. I'm like, having seen it, what the fuck is this dude talking about? But anyway, I've, I've seen mixed reviews as well. And, and honest, this is one of those that it really kind of puzzles me about mm-hmm. when I hear that because it seems to me, and but and, you know, there's universal universally uh, positive reviews for Iron Man three, and that just kind of that baffles the same situation. Yeah. Like Iron Man, like. I can see how people like it, but to you know to say it's perfect and the best in the series, and I can't agree with that statement. No. But I can agree with this statement: Star Trek in the Darkness is the best movie that's come out this year so far. Uh, and they did cool it on the lens flares. There's there's one that's really <laughs> actually I only really truly noticed one where it's like okay, this lens flare's lasting way too long. Wow. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, you know, I, I honestly really can't complain about anything about this movie. I would recommend uh, if you. If you haven't seen any of the old crew movies, maybe watch the first three, hmm. because there's uh, watch them anyway because it's good sci-fi. But uh, you'll get more out of this movie if you've seen the original, if you know a little bit of the history of the franchise itself. You don't need to see those; it operates without that as a dynamic. But if you're at all familiar with the series, there are moments in this movie where like you get a chill down your spine, or you're you know plot twisting in a way that's surprising. Uh, so anyway, again, I said I was wrapping up an hour ago, but anyway, I can't. I, I, I love this movie. This movie, Into Darkness, is phenomenal. I will buy it the day it comes out. I will watch it twice that night. Uh, I could have walked. I could have sat in the theater if I had that clout. You know, if I was the president, Ronald Reagan, watching Back to the Future, I said, "Hey, play it again," and I would have sat there again and watched it immediately. Uh, my wife, you all heard her on the podcast before. She's very picky when it comes to movies. She loved the shit out of this movie. So, well, there's three Star time. Treks in uh, the '80s. Oh, surprised really? I haven't covered them. If I'd have thought about it better, we'd have done it <laughs> leading up to it. We got in the, I did the music, came with the music month thing. Yeah. I'm sure we will over the podcast because, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll get to those. Yep, yep. Although I really don't like the Voyage Home where they save the whales. That well, one's, y'all got to do it, though. <laughs> that'd be a good one. I can talk about that one. How, you know, if you like that yeah, one, that's fine. I know Leonard Nimoy directed it, and that, you might like it because of that. And Spock is, in modern times, giving people the bird. But, I mean, come on. Fucking humpback whales. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, that's a story for another day. We'll yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yep, that's pretty much it to do with this episode. Thank you. I hope you, all, you guys enjoyed Music Month. Uh, Daniel, I hope you enjoyed, you know, I hope you got some new stuff you'll play on your podcast or... I mean, uh, iPod or anything. You pick up some music you might like between, especially between Prince and uh, Purple Rain and this. You know, where it's pretty much there's a companion album with the the song, uh, the movie on it. Uh, you know, the relevant songs from the movie on it. Whereas, you know, Footloose, you got Footloose and the more of a soundtrack type vibe. And UHF is very similar to that. Although it is Weird Al and you should love it mm-hmm. until the day you die. But yeah, if you need to drop us a line, correct us on any of the stuff we thought we knew, but we really didn't. Our email is 80srevisited at gmail.com and also on the Facebooks at Awesome Podcast Network. Give us a like and we like to post some fun stuff on there related to it. And also for any future episodes uh, and any new shows that come along on the Awesome Podcast Network, such as the return of Geekly Dose. Again, don't forget about that, everybody. And also on Twitter at Awesome Podcasts. And next week, everybody, I've been waiting for a while to do this one. Waiting to pop Daniel's cherry on this one because this is one of my favorite. I say that a lot, I know, but seriously, <laughs> this is one of my. This is probably one of, in my top five action movies of all time, the Peter Weller classic RoboCop. So tune in next week to see. Daniel's got a sly smile on his face. Tune in to see what he has to say next week. But until next time, everybody, I'm Trey Harris. I'm Daniel San Angelo. Jesse Sedgley. Cow, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Bunga. Screw <laughs> <laughs>
more at the Awesome Podcast Network's Facebook at facebook.com slash awesome podcast network and follow us on Twitter at awesome podcasts.